Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. Well, good evening, guys. How's everyone doing tonight? Excited to be here for church on a Tuesday? <laughs> just um, a little something. As we were worshiping, and I just felt like the Lord was saying, like, will you let me exceed your expectations tonight? And I don't think that was a personal word. I think it was a corporate word. Will you let me exceed your expectations tonight? And, you know, just as we were singing that last song, like, I was just reminded that holy, 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 that's all the angels can say in the presence of the Lord in heaven. Every time they, they realize that they're in the presence of the Lord, all they can utter is holy, holy, holy. And I feel like what God is doing tonight is that he's setting up a holy moment for him to absolutely exceed our expectations. So I don't know what you came in expecting tonight. I don't know if you came in just expecting for a routine Tuesday night ch church service. But can I just tell you that God wants to completely exceed those expectations? You know, he's the God who does exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine. And that's what he's intending to do tonight. And so I have the absolute honor of speaking, and I am so excited because I feel like about two weeks ago, God just put this word in my heart, and it has been absolutely wrecking me in the best way possible, as only Jesus can do. But tonight, I'm going to be talking about collateral damage. I'm going to be talking about these defense mechanisms and these coping mechanisms that we create to get around a core issue in our lives. These things that we depend on that are our survival mechanisms and how ultimately they collapse under pressure of life. How ultimately they pale in comparison to the power and authority of Jesus and how what Jesus wants us to do is ultimately go through and, you know, I was, like, even just thinking today, like, we can strive, I can strive so much for the promises of God, and I can depend on my own coping mechanisms to get me there, but once I arrive, I'll have to continue to strive. I'll have to continue to depend on my coping mechanisms. And Jesus never wants me to do that. He never wants us to do that. What he wants us to do is exist and live in a beautiful freedom and beautiful relationship with him, relying and trusting solely on him to bring us through. And so I'm going to pray, and then we are going to get into it, and it's going to be awesome. So, Father, we just thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you that you are going to exceed our expectations, Jesus. We just surrender whatever we brought in at the door. God, we just surrender it completely to you. And, Lord, I ask that you would just use me as your vessel, that I would step out of the way, Jesus, and that you would just speak through me. So, Lord, we love you. We worship you. In your name we pray. Amen. So prior to becoming a pastor, I worked in cardiology for six years. And so what I did was I was a clinical research coordinator, which is just a fancy way of saying that I did a lot of research. Yes, I was a nerd. I will proudly proclaim that. And so I worked in cardiology in the cath lab. And I saw about eight to ten heart procedures a day. Some of them were pretty standard. Some of them, of course, were seriously emergent. But after six years, you kind of grow accustomed to what the cases are going to look like. When a patient presents in the, the heart, heart center, you could kind of tell, just based off of their medical history, 
what the prognosis was going to be, whether or not it was going to be a three-hour-long procedure or whether it was going to be just a half-hour-long procedure. And I'll never forget this one day. It was towards the end of my time there. A person came in presenting with, uh, honestly, it looked like a false positive. It looked like what was going to happen is we were going to go into the heart and we were going to see that absolutely was nothing, nothing was wrong. It was going to be 30 minutes quick in and out. And so we, the doctor goes in, he starts taking images of the heart, and basically they inject this dye so that on a TV screen you can see the exact vessels and the layout of the heart. And so what we saw was a 95% blockage in one of the major arteries. It was called the RCA. And so this 95% blockage, and he was presenting totally fine. The craziest thing was, was that surrounding this blockage, there were actual vessels that had grown to go around it. So blood was still getting to the end of the vessel, which is why this man wasn't presenting with any emergent chest pain or any like negative tests. He was presenting totally normal with a family history. But surrounding this 95% blockage were these vessels called collaterals. And so the crazy thing about collaterals is that, like I said, they don't typically occur in these emergent 100% blockage cases. These cases where somebody comes in like with a heart attack that has just happened. Typically, they occur over time. They grow over time. So it's a blockage that's developed with lifestyle choices. It's a blockage that's developed gradually that these collaterals then grow around and begin to get to the end of the vessels. <laughs> you know, these collaterals develop over time. These collaterals develop over time. They're considered to be protective in nature. And these collaterals actually bypass the area of blockage, and they help to restore blood flow to the end of your vessels. So they're considered to be protective. And however, the funny thing about these collaterals, or the interesting thing about these collaterals, is that during times of increased exertion or pressure, the collaterals fail to supply enough blood to the heart and typically collapse revealing the main blockage. And so I think that's so interesting. So these vessels are being developed over time around this root issue, this core issue, this 95% blockage. But when pressure comes, when exertion comes, they ultimately collapse. And I think it's all too easy to create collaterals in our own lives. I think it's all too easy for me to create my own coping mechanisms for me to create my own defense mechanisms in my life that go around this blockage that I have. And you know, for me, maybe it's fear. For you, maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's this blockage that you have, this event in your life that you just don't want to go back to. So what you've been doing is creating these collaterals to go around this root thing, this thing that's a little bit too scary to address. But the reality is that when we don't address that root thing, the blood can't flow as easily and as freely. And God wants us to address that root. He wants us to have the blood flowing freely to the ends of the vessels, to the ends of our vessels, to the ends to our destiny. He wants us to have this freedom in our lives. He doesn't want anything getting in the way. But these collaterals, what they do is they fall 
at the first sign of pressure. They collapse under pressure. And so I believe that God, what he will do in his absolute mercy and goodness is that he will send pressure into our lives to allow our collaterals to collapse. Because God never wants us depending on our own strength. He wants us depending in him and on him. He wants us relying on his word and relying in him to bring us through, not on our own collaterals. And today, I want to share three things about collaterals, and I want to look specifically at Peter's life. Because I feel like for me, Peter is somebody that I can totally relate to. He had this classic, like, foot-in-mouth syndrome where he would just say things without thinking. And that, I am totally a reactive person. I have been guilty. Thank God the Lord is working it out. But I can totally relate to Peter in this way. And I think we can look at his life and we can see defense mechanisms that worked for him up until a point. And these defense mechanisms ultimately collapsed at the first sign of real intense pressure. And so Peter, just to give you a little, like, character synopsis, he was a man who spoke before thinking, and he was known to be really impulsive. It's funny because the Gospels of Luke and Mark both present him as unguarded, unthinking, and rash. <laughs> Could you imagine, like, having that be, like, your legacy? Like, you're unthinking, you're unguarded, and you're pretty rash, and you just, like, say things without thinking? That was Peter. He's the first to act and speak his mind pretty much in every occurrence. But I also love that he's one of the 12 disciples. So he's one of Jesus' closest friends. And not only is he one of the 12, he's actually one of the three. So he's one of Jesus' three closest friends. Which meant that he saw a lot. Which meant that he lived in this environment of miracles constantly. You know, Peter, he was a fisherman who Jesus called out of his lifestyle and said, come with me and be fisher of men. Come be my disciple and I'll show you this amazing world, this amazing life that you can live out. He fed the 5,000 with Jesus. He was there when Jesus did that twice. He was there and he saw Jesus walk on water. And then when Jesus actually called to him and said, walk on water to me, Peter literally walked on water in faith to Jesus. He's the first to speak up about Jesus being the Christ, the Son of God, to which Jesus literally responds to him, Peter, you are the rock that I will build my church on. So he's having this amazing moment. He's the first to identify Jesus who, as who he truly is. He was at the Mount of Transfiguration. And so he's there for all of these major miracles of Jesus. All the times that Jesus would cure the sick, that he raised Lazarus from the dead, that he would heal the paralytic, open the blind eyes. Peter was a witness to all of these miracles. But I think the flip side of that is also interesting because he was also the disciple who failed to understand Jesus' true purpose. He was also the disciple who rebuked Jesus. You know, at the Mount of Transfiguration, Luke actually says that Peter did not know what he was saying because he spoke out of fear. He fell asleep on Jesus in Jesus' most critical hour, and he swore allegiance to Jesus in one moment, yet went on to boldly deny him. So on one hand, we have this disciple who has seen amazing miracles, who has literally walked on water at the beckoning of Jesus. And then we have this disciple who rebukes him. This disciple who doubts, this disciple who lives in fear. And I think the overall picture of Peter's life and time with Jesus leads me to my first thought, which is that collaterals depend on our own strength and on our own striving. 
You know, we see that in Peter's impulsivity and in his rashness. And I'm going to read from the, the occurrence of the Mount of Transfiguration. And Luke 9.29 says, And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. That's Jesus. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from Jesus, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah not knowing what he was saying. So I think we see here that Peter is actually terrified. He's responding completely impulsively to a situation he's basically waking up from a nap to. He basically is like super groggy, super tired, and he opens his eyes and he's like, oh my Jesus, you are here in all of your glory. Moses is here. I've read his stories. Elijah is here. I've read his stories too. We're in full glory. And because I don't know what to say, I'm just going to blurt out, let's erect tents. Let, let's monument this moment. We, we got to document it. It has to go down in history as if it wasn't going to be in the Gospels, right? Like let's document this moment. And Luke literally throws him so under the bus and goes, and he did not know what he was saying. So he's responding out of fear to this amazing, holy, epic moment that he's experiencing. He's responding impulsively. He's responding without thinking. And I think it's easy to throw shade at Peter, but it's also easy for me to sit here and be like, I can totally relate. Like, I can totally bring up right now, like, five moments that I won't share where I have put my foot in my mouth impulsively because I did not know how to respond appropriately to a situation. And I think we all can, you know? It's like that quintessential, like, I think it's like a meme that's out there of, like, you know, even, like, right after service, you're going, you're saying hello to somebody, the music's a little loud, and you're like, hey, my name's Allie, and someone's like, hey, my name's so-and-so. You're like, what? And they, like, they say their name again, and then you're like, I really didn't catch it, but I'm just going to go with whatever I think is best and really hope it's awesome right now. And it usually doesn't turn out epic for me. It's always like, hey, my name actually wasn't Chris at all. It was like Janine. Like, wow, I'm way off. But just like Peter, I'm putting my foot in my mouth. And just like Peter, I'm responding impulsively to a situation. Following this epic Tuesday night service, I can immediately respond in fear and insecurity and put my foot in my mouth to a circumstance or a situation or a conversation I'm having 10 minutes later. And that's what Peter's doing right here. You know, it reminds me of the moment where Jesus asks Peter to come out on the water to him. Jesus, Peter recognizes that Jesus is the one out on the water standing miraculously on water, defying nature. And Jesus calls out to Peter, but at the first sign of Peter acknowledging his fear, he begins to sink. And so I think you have this disciple who's responding impulsively. He's responding rashly, but I think he let that be his personality. I think he let his insecurities actually identify him more than Jesus. And that leads me to my second point, which is that our collaterals collapse under pressure. You know, during the, the Lord's Supper, literally moments before Jesus would be taken and, and ultimately sent to the cross, we have one of Peter's uh, most epic, impulsive foot-and-mouth situations. And it reads in Mark 14, verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, 
For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. So in our context, they had just sung the most epic of worship songs you could ever sing. They were all on a spiritual high. They were all in the Holy Spirit. They were like, this is it. We got this. We are a squad. We are here for life. We are with you, Jesus. And Jesus, in his gentleness and in his kindness, actually reminds them, no, guys, I'm sorry. Like, you'll all fall away. You know, I will go to the cross, but you guys will ultimately scatter. And Peter, in his impulsiveness and in his rashness, looks at Jesus and says, basically, you're wrong. Even if everyone else falls away, Jesus, I won't. John, he might, but I won't. Don't worry. The rest of the guys might, but don't worry. I won't. I will go to you to even if it costs me my life, I will go wherever I have to go with you. And Jesus, in his gentleness and kindness, actually reminds Peter again, no, that's not how it's going to work out. But Peter looks at Jesus and says, if I must die with you, I'm not going to deny you. No matter what, I will literally do whatever it takes to be with you. I will never deny you. I will never abandon you. And so we see this huge declaration on Peter's behalf. And then we pick up the story later on in Mark 14. And in verse 53, it says, And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards, and he was warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. And then in verse 66, it says, And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while... The bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you're one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And Peter broke down and wept. Now in some of the other gospel accounts, it actually says that Right after the rooster crowed the second time, Peter locked eyes with Jesus. And then Peter broke down and wept. And I can't imagine what Peter must have felt like in that moment. I mean, I can't imagine what Jesus must have felt like in that moment. But I feel like for Peter, it's this epitome of his failure. This point where he's realizing my striving isn't working. My own strength has literally led me to deny one of my best friends and the man who I believe is the Christ. 
you know, literally hours before this very moment, Peter is boldly declaring to Jesus that he will never leave him, that he will never forsake him, that he'll never turn his back on him, that even if it costs him his life, he'll do whatever it takes to go with Jesus. How he would never in a million years deny him, and then moments later, he locks eyes with Jesus after denying him three times to a little servant girl. And it actually says that Peter was so adamant in his denial that he invoked a curse on himself to make himself look crazy. That's the extent he went to deny Jesus. One of Jesus' best friends and one of his most loyal disciples in a moment for what I believe was this overwhelming root of fear denies Jesus. And here's what got me. You know, Peter was somebody who literally existed in this miraculous world with Jesus. Everywhere that he went, it actually says that the Bible can't even contain all the miracles that Jesus did. And so literally, Peter is walking with Jesus through each and every one of these circumstances. He's seeing these miracles play out right before his eyes. You know, Jesus had literally spoken a new name over Peter. He literally spoke a new identity. This is the guy that in a moment calls out to Jesus, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds to him, Peter, your new name is Peter, and you are the rock on which I will build my entire church. My entire church will be built on this. And that Peter, in a moment of of impulsivity and rashness and catering to his fear, denies his very best friend denies the man who brought him out of a life of comfort and into a life of the miraculous. And so he's in this world where he's constantly seeing the miracles, but I don't know that Peter was ever truly receptive to the love of Jesus. You know, something like this, like I believe that Peter intellectually knew that Jesus loved him, but a story like this, I wonder if Peter internalized Jesus' love for him. I wonder if that love and that identity ever hit the core of Peter's heart. Or I wonder if that blockage of fear didn't allow Peter to have the deepest revelation that he could. You know, I wonder just what this root of fear was doing to Peter. You know, it reminds me of that scripture that we're not called to live in a spirit of fear, but in the spirit of a power, love, and a a sound mind. And so that shows me that the opposite of the spirit of fear is the spirit of love. The opposite of the spirit of fear is power and a sound mind and that love. And so I wonder if Peter was unable to really take hold of that spirit of love because he was so attached to the comfort of his fear. Because he was so comfortable in living out of his own defense mechanisms of impulsivity and rashness and fear. You know, collaterals, they work to a point. We see that anatomically in the heart. We literally see that collaterals can only last so long. They can only help a patient so long before they collapse to the pressures of life before they collapse under exertion. And I think the same is very real for the collaterals that we develop. I think the same is real for the collaterals and the defense mechanisms that we begin to rely on out of comfort. They collapse under pressure. They collapse under pressure for us just like they did for Peter. Just like in a moment where Peter is on this spiritual high and he's like, Jesus, I will never deny you. His collaterals collapsed hours later when he was in a circumstance and a situation where he did deny Jesus. 
You know, and I think it's that question that, like, we can be in church our, for, for our whole lives and not really address the collaterals. You know, we can literally be in a room full of believers, be in a room where miracles are occurring on the daily and not fully have this revelation of Jesus' love for us. Not fully realize that Jesus has given us a new name, that he has given us a new identity, and that the freedom that he has for us is on the other side of addressing our fears, is on the other side of addressing our anxieties. I think sometimes we can get so comfortable, I can get so comfortable with the defense mechanisms that I've built up, that the idea of actually letting Jesus address something is scarier than just existing with my defense mechanisms, existing with my collaterals. And that leads me to my third and my final point, which is Jesus always wants to take us through. You know, a lot of times we just want to go around. But Jesus, in his mercy and in his kindness and in his goodness, wants to take us through. You know, I really, truly believe that pressing through and not going around will actually usher in breakthrough like never before. I really, truly believe that when we go through with Jesus, we will see unprecedented breakthrough in our lives. Because when we allow Jesus to go through, what we're doing is we're surrendering. We're acknowledging that there's this huge blockage that I can't fix on my own, Jesus. And when we allow him into the situation, he makes a way, and it's miraculous, and it's whole, and it's freedom like we've never seen before, freedom like we've never felt before. It's healing to the depths of our soul that I really, truly believe are unattainable without him. And that leads me to um, picking up the scripture in John 21. And so we're kind of looking back at, at Peter's story a little bit. And in John 21, verse 1, it says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. They went out, and they got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. So just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. They were not far away from the land, but about 100 yards off. I love that. It's like just another, like, awesome example of Peter's impulsiveness. It continues, and it says, When they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, and he hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, and he took the bread, and he gave it to them, and so with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to Peter a second time, 
Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. So Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And as the band comes up, I want us to just take a moment and imagine Peter experiencing this right now. You know, Jesus has just revealed himself for the third time to the disciples. But Peter, from this place of comfort, goes back to fishing. He goes, goes back to what he's always done and what he's always known. And so he's in a boat. He's out there and he's fishing. And just like the first time Jesus has called Peter, Jesus calls to Peter and he pretty much tells him to, you know, put the net on the other side of the boat. And then G Peter and the disciples catch this huge amount of fish. And, you know, that completely mirrors the first time that Jesus calls the disciples, that Jesus calls Peter. The exact same thing is happening. And it goes on, and, and I love because I think Peter is reacting impulsively because it's reminding him of that moment that Jesus called him. So he literally jumps in the water, although the boat's really close to shore. He jumps in the water, and he swims to Jesus. And I can just imagine him having this moment of embarrassment, having this moment of hesitation where he realizes, I just reacted super impulsively again. I just lived up to that legacy of mine a foot and mouth. Once again, I'm doing it. And Jesus, in his kindness, is sitting on a, under and around a charcoal fire. You know, the, other, uh, the only other time a charcoal fire is mentioned in scripture is a charcoal fire that Peter denied Jesus around. And so Jesus is setting up the same exact circumstances for Peter. But instead of in a crazy, emotionally draining, high-intensity moment, Jesus is setting up this beautiful picture of relationship. He's setting up this beautiful picture of community. He's setting up a meal for Peter over a charcoal fire. And then he asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? You know, the three times that Peter denies Jesus, Jesus asks Peter to actually affirm his love. So Peter denies Jesus three times, and Jesus says, do you love me, Peter, three times? And isn't that a beautiful picture of what Jesus does to us? You know, right in this moment, what he's doing is he's addressing this root issue that Peter had. He's addressing this root identity issue, this root fear issue that was controlling his life. And Jesus holds out his hand and he says to Peter, do you love me? And Peter responds, yes, Lord. And then the third time, Peter responds, yes, Lord. But he's so grieved because I think Peter realized what Jesus was doing. I think Peter was realizing in this moment the extent of his fear issue, the extent to which he was letting fear dictate his life dictate his reflexes, dictate his responses. 
And Jesus just says to him, Simon Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know everything. Of course I love you. You know, in that one moment, what happens is this perfect love that Jesus has casts out all fear in Peter's life, I believe. The perfect love that Jesus approaches us with casts out all fear, all fear. And so in a moment of surrender, in a moment of vulnerability, in a moment of honesty, what Peter is doing is allowing Jesus into that area, into that spot that he's never let anyone before. And can I just encourage you that that's what Jesus wants to do with us? You know, we have these, these untouchable things. Maybe it's a, something that happened in your past. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's anxiety. Whatever it is, that thing that comes to your mind the second I say the word collateral, the second that I say the word blockage, you know, Jesus wants to heal that. He wants to make a way. He doesn't want it to be 95% blocked and letting 5% through. What he wants is it to be 100% open. He wants that through way with him. He wants that freedom. He wants us to taste and see his goodness and his healing powers and the ability that he can just reach to the depths of our soul and completely pave a way. There, you know, there is literally nothing like the love of Jesus. There is literally nothing like the power of his love, the power of his capacity to heal his authority. Just like we were singing before, he brings freedom because he already paid that price for us. And so we ultimately do a disservice to ourselves when we don't let him address those issues, when we don't surrender to him and let him into that area. We do a disservice to ourselves when we depend on our collaterals to get us through. Because we're never supposed to rely on those. We're never supposed to rely on our own strength. It's in our weakness that he is strong. It's in our vulnerabilities that his glory and his might are revealed. It's in our insecurities that we can just lay before him that he is given all of the glory. Because I'm not sure about you, but there is no way that I could be up here today without Jesus. There is no way that I could walk in the healing that I walk in without him. And it's only on the other end of surrender. It's only in acknowledging that his freedom is better than the pain that I might feel for a moment. But the freedom and the grace and the love and the, just the overabundance of mercy that I will taste and see on the other end of that surrender is so much better than the pain that I can experience right now. The minor pain that we can experience in just surrendering and just acknowledging vulnerability, it's so minor compared to the freedom that Jesus has for you. And the reality is, is that he never wants us to live in fear. He literally never wants us depending on our own strength. Because they cave under pressure, they cave under exertion. So when storms of life come just like they came for Peter, collaterals collapse. They do not sustain you. And so I just love that picture of three times Peter denying Jesus and then three times him saying, no, Lord, I love you. Him letting it sink in to his core to the depths of his heart. Believe that in that moment, Peter is acknowledging his identity. He's acknowledging the love that Jesus has for him, and he's just letting it hit 
everywhere. He's just surrendering. He's saying, yes, Lord, I love you. You know everything. You know everything. So you know my pain. You know the betrayal I felt. You know my panic attacks. You know my PTSD. You know my addictions. You know everything, Lord. So on the other end of my surrender is this supernatural breakthrough. And it's letting the blood of Jesus just flow freely through where our coping mechanisms and our defense mechanisms have built a blockage. And, you know, I love Peter's story because it's just this epic story of redemption. You know, Peter went on to actually be the dominant director of church policy. Now, church policy, I could imagine, doesn't allow for a lot of foot-and-mouth scenarios. So that shows me that Peter was healed, that he was restored. He goes on to be this epic leader in the churches. You know, he proclaims the gospel message at Pentecost with confidence, and 3,000 people are saved. 3,000 people are saved at the proclamation of the gospel because of Peter's obedience. He heals the sick. He raises a dead woman. He cures a paralytic. And, and the one story that I love the most is that he defends the gospel before the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin was just basically the, the Jewish, uh, like, legal institute. So the same people that he had pretty much denied Jesus in front of, he later went on to defend when he's denying Jesus in front of the Sanhedrin, years later, because of the love of Jesus and the revelation of the identity that Peter now has and it reaching the depths after surrender, Peter now goes before them and he proclaims and he defends the gospel. Whether or not it sends him to jail, whether or not it costs him his life, he goes and he defends the gospel. He preaches the gospel message everywhere. He preaches about the love of Jesus to everyone he comes into contact with. You know, I think Peter is just, like I said, this beautiful story of redemption and restoration. You know, he's this beautiful story. I'm going to cry. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. He's this beautiful picture of somebody who lived their life relying on their collaterals. And in a moment of surrender and letting Jesus just do the deep work, he was fully restored, fully redeemed, fully healed. He did things that he could never do in his own strength. Can I encourage you that that's what God wants to do in you tonight? God doesn't want you relying on collaterals. He doesn't want you relying on defense mechanisms. He never wants you relying on those learned reflexes. What he wants is to actively transform your mind to rely on his strength and to allow his reactions to become your reactions. His peace to become your peace. His mercy, his forgiveness to become your forgiveness, your mercy. That's what Jesus wants to do. And so I don't know the collateral you came in with. I don't know the blockage you came in with. But I want to encourage you that Jesus wants to break through. He doesn't want you relying on them anymore. He wants you to rely on him. Let go of your own strength. 
Let go of your own works and rely on Jesus to bring the full healing, the full restoration, the full breakthrough. At the other end of surrender is an unprecedented amount of breakthrough, breakthrough that you haven't even tasted and seen. At the other end of your surrender, just like we see with Peter, is this amazing story of a man who goes on to transform the world. That same authority that Peter walked in, Jesus wants you to walk in. That same power that Peter functioned in, Jesus wants you to function in that same power. He doesn't want you to function out of fear. He wants you to function in his power and his authority and in his love. You know, Jesus cares more about our hearts than anything. He cares more about what's going on inside than what's going on externally. More than fulfilling the promises, what he wants is to do a deep work in our hearts so that we reflect him and we look like him. And so if you wouldn't mind standing with me. You know, Jesus is after your heart tonight. He's after the depths of the heart that you have, your heart that you have let no man into. He's after the depths of your heart that you just don't want to tell anyone about, that you don't want to reveal, that you don't want anybody to see. Those places that you think are the dirtiest of dirties, that's exactly where Jesus wants to meet you. That place where you are most ashamed is where Jesus wants to come into tonight. That's where he wants to move through you tonight. He wants to bring in the breakthrough. He wants to break every chain. He doesn't want you walking hindered by fear, by insecurity, by whatever your blockage is. What he wants is you to walk in the freedom that he has already paid for, for you. The grace that he has already paid for, for you. He does not want you living a hindered life. He wants you living a life of radical freedom because that is his goodness. And so if you're here tonight and you're looking at me and you're like, Allie, I don't even know this Jesus that you're talking about. I'm not even sure I understand what's going on. I just walked into 89 North hoping for the best and here I am. Can I tell you that Jesus loves you, that he adores you, that he has the best plans ever for you, that he will turn every single thing in your life into good because that is a promise that he makes? Can I tell you that salvation is the best best decision you will literally ever make. And this room is filled with testimonies of his goodness and testimonies of his faithfulness. So you can look to your left and your right and you can see people transformed by the miraculous love and grace of Jesus. And you can know that this is a decision for you to make tonight. And you know, there's a prayer team along the back of the, the wall and, and they, they want to pray with you. They want to pray that, that prayer over you that just that you agree with and that you end up in this beautiful relationship with Jesus. But tonight what I want is, is if anybody is in here and they recognize a blockage in their life, if they recognize that they've been just depending on collaterals for too long, if you feel comfortable and if that resonates with you, would you lift your hands? We're going to pray. And we're going to believe that in this moment, as we worship Jesus, as we proclaim his goodness and his mercy, he is going to break through on the other end of our surrender. So, Father, we love you so much. And, God, we thank you that you first loved us, Jesus. So, Lord, we just surrender to you, God, and we ask that you would do what we can't, Jesus, that you would do the miraculous healing, God, that you would meet us.
us right where we are, Jesus, and that you would just make a way, God, that you would level the mountains in our lives, Jesus, that you would break every single chain, God, that you would do the miraculous work that we need to live fully in your freedom, Lord. We love you, we worship you, and in your mighty and powerful name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.